Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. This is Vicar. Peter's here. Hey, Pete. So, Vicar, are you done breaking things over here? I hope so. <laughs> Sunday before Christmas... And by the way, that uh, that Iowa game was pretty amazing. Was it? <laughs> Not in the same way we thought it would be, but yeah. <laughs> How you doing, Berg? Uh, oh, just living the dream. Oh, are you all ready for the Christmas season? Always, always ready. Sweet. I've been watching the Grinch movie and the Nightmare Before Christmas, and you know, all the classics. Oh uh, yeah. So break break down the 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 Grinch movie for us. Um, what, what are your, what are your opinions? Is it, uh, it's a nice movie because it shows that Christmas isn't based on material gift giving or the nice meals or any of that kind of stuff. Of course they don't go. It's about the feeling you have. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's where they end up with it. But, uh, nevertheless, I think, you know, it's, it's not far from the kingdom of heaven. There you go. Now, was this the Jim Carrey version or the, the original? Um, this is actually the Benedict Cumberbatch version because my son loves Max the dog. Wow, I even know if I've even seen that. I've, I've never heard, I've of, never that. heard of that. Yeah, that's the one he likes. So, Oh. It's got Re- Rashida Jones in it as, as the nurse mom, which is hilarious because mm. she played a nurse on Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So... How come I've never heard of this? I don't know. That's a good question. Because I know Peacock. Of... Okay. Oh, there's like a Pixar one. Oh, Illumination. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So That's it has pretty to good. deal with the Illuminati. Oh, and it's got, what is it? Uh, Keenan, Keenan Thomas. Oh. Yeah, he, he used to be with that uh, that Nickelodeon group, you know. Oh, Welcome yeah. to the Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I Keenan take your and order? Kel? Yeah. Yeah. So... I'd say that's probably a deep dive, isn't it? Deep sure. Cut. <laughs> sure. <laughs> deep cut. For some of our noble listeners. So So does it retain the original theology of the original? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's all right. It's okay. You know, it uh they don't just make him evil, but you know, he's was treated poorly as a kid and then that's why his heart is two sizes too small, and I could have done without that. I mean, I would have rather just had him be evil and then become good. Right. See, the thing is, is that they they make it, like you said, about this feeling, and their actions then convert the Grinch, which I think is actually a good thing. I mean, rejoicing even when everything is taken from you. I think sometimes we as Christians forget that that actually does show the faith, it lets our light shine before men, uh, and it does change people, right, for the better, and that's a good thing. Now, of course, I yeah, you know, I wish there would have been a little more uh, Christianity in it, but they were singing "God Rest You Merry Gentlemen," which was pretty cool. So, and talking about our Savior, which was good. So, at least there was some reference to our Lord in it. Yeah, that's good, um, you know. So, yeah. So, uh, what are, what am I preaching on? Vicar. <laughs> so you are preaching on, let me pull it up. Oh, there's a, are you taking the longer one or the shorter one? It's only a verse longer. Okay. I'll do the longer one. But but what's interesting is that this is one thing that is was kind of shocking to me uh, when I switched to the one year is how the one year treats John the Baptist. Uh, it doesn't necessarily go into like his original work so much as his questioning. Yeah. <laughs> Are you the one? Yeah, it is kind of weird because you would expect John the Baptist to be like set up as the one who's going to prepare the way for Christ. But really in the one year, it's just a more of a, Hey, who is this guy? Right. There's really, really no setup for who he is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so you, have you, you noticed actually this? get those, you actually get those more in, um, in the readings, for the Wednesdays and the Fridays, it does a lot more of that. Oh, so sure. like, so like the Wednesday after the first Sunday in Advent is Matthew three, one through six, or, and then the Friday is Luke three, seven through 18, where mm. you get a little bit more of the full, you know, the fill in of, you know, what does John the Baptist do? So right. 
Right. That's why the what? Lutheran Missile Project is the bomb. <laughs> you can't say that. What? I can't? <laughs> the missile is the bomb? Come on, man. <laughs> now you're just confusing categories. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little early. I've got an energy drink that I'm... Oh, what do you got there? C4. He's got C4. Whoa. So. Missiles, bombs, and C4. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is going to be an explosive episode. And I, I've got a monster... Man, you guys are, am I rubbing off on you? What, what's going on here? Energy drinks, not coffee. Well, oh, Vicar's got, got a coffee. I got that. I yeah, got I've that got too. a coffee. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> wow, a C4 <laughs> with a, a du- coffee chaser. That's pretty amazing. A doubling of that. Berg's, Berg's, Berg's hitting 400 milligrams of caffeine this morning. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Tis the season. So and what kind of what kind of coffee do you have there, Vicar? It's a Frappuccino. Oh. Is that... What, what is, is that? A, that's a good question. I don't know what frappuccino like means, but it's basically just like a blended iced coffee kind of drink. Looks like like it's got some. Sh- it looks like a milkshake. It does, but it it isn't a milkshake. It's not as thick. Is that from Rustic Brew? Yeah. Sweet. Would you call it a beta drink? No, we're not going there. <laughs> some would. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right, so I think a lot of times when John the Baptist is preached, one of the things that winds up happening is you wind up talking more about the person and the character of John the Baptist rather than what he actually said and did. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, when you're talking about John the Baptist, uh, it must come with his message of preparing the way for the Lord and repent. And with this current particular text where uh, John is in prison and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? Um, you know, every time this is brought up, it asks, we people ask a question, was this genuine or not? Um, I, I don't think um, that's not a nuanced way of looking at it because uh, uh, I'll give you an example. I was just visiting my parents, right? And uh, um, and I was talking to them, and we were going to church, and and they mentioned that oh, we're we're just so happy to go to church and hear the gospel. Now you might ask, well, is that genuine? Do they like really need to hear it? Are they doubting? That 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 doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I think as a church, we've built what we do on the fact that we in faith know Jesus is the one, but we still need to hear it. I think John knew Christ Jesus was the one, Mm -hmm. but he needed to hear it. And I think, I don't think that that really is an issue. I mean, that's what we do as a church. And Jesus answers John by pointing him to the scriptures. See what I tell John what you see and hear. It's basically explaining that Jesus is doing, that he is doing everything that the prophets said he would do. And so if John the Baptist, one, Jesus here says, uh, there's no one born of a woman greater than he, if he is someone who believed, had faith, and yet needed to hear, uh, who are we? In our pride, think well. I know I don't need to hear, um, and that's that's how I I kind of take his question is is the fact that we make try to make things so cut and dry without actually realizing that John the Baptist was a human being, and just like any human beings beings, we may know in faith and we may trust, but uh, we still need to hear, uh, you know. My my parents or someone who is older, uh, someone still needs to hear. They still need a pastor. They need uh, someone to go visit them, right? Why would John the Baptist shut in prison be any different? What do you think, Berg? Yeah, I think that's a perfectly legitimate way to take this text. I think uh, the other way that this text could be is that John knew that 
he was uh, the greatest born of woman, that he was more than a prophet, and that his very person could actually become a hindrance or an obstacle uh, to the salvation of his disciples. Because we see this long after John is dead, there are still uh, really John the Baptist disciples running around, like in uh, Ephesus, for example. And Aren't there like, still groups like in Africa where they still consider themselves followers glad, of John I, the Baptist? I'm glad you brought that up. They're called <laughs> the Mandeans. Um, so the Mandeans are a closed ethno-religious community. They're monotheistic, they're Gnostic, and they're ethnic. Uh, its adherents revere Adam, Abel, Seth, Enosh, Noah, Shem, Aram, and especially John the Baptist. By the way, and, they sound like they should have no trouble getting into college. <laughs> there you go. Ah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, Mandeans considered Adam, Seth, Noah, Shem, and John the Baptist to be prophets, with Adam the founder of the religion and John being the greatest and final prophet. And so they actually believe that there's a constant battle or conflict between the forces of good and evil. The forces of good are represented by Nora, light, and Maya, Hai, living water, and those of evil are represented by Hushka, darkness, and Maya, Tami, dead or rancid water. The two waters are mixed in all things in order to achieve a balance. Mandeans also believe in an afterlife or heaven called Alma Denura, the world of light. And so basically all matter is uh, from the darkness or this rancid or dead water. Our souls are the living water or the, or the light. And so even to this day, there are still people who revere John the Baptist as the greatest prophet. So and, where do they where do they get all that from John the Baptist? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I think it has to do with because what we see especially like in the book of Eph in the book of Acts talking about Ephesus, I mean, there were these Johannites who were running around, they were still baptizing, they were still doing this kind of stuff. And of course, it probably got uh, syncretized. There was a syncretism between Gnosticism and John the Baptist, because John mm -hmm. the Baptist doesn't do any miracles. He, d he isn't raised from the dead. He's a voice, which really would fit very well with <laughs> Gnosticism, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And his understanding, they could take what he ate and what he wore as being kind of consistent with the way the Gnostics viewed the body. Right. So uh, this or is where... they could view it symbolically, which is how... Like the Valentinian Gnostics take most of what Jesus does as, as symbolically. Speak up, Baker. Sorry. Say it with your chest, bro. Oh, I, sorry. I was just saying that uh, it, he they since they're a Gnostic like offshoot, they probably took it as being symbolic of something or another, just as the Valentinians took everything that Jesus did as being symbolic, including his baptism. That's when the when the true Christ descended upon him and left him at the cross. They took that as symbolic as well. So who knows what they thought of it? Yeah. So <clears throat> I think John knows this, and he knows that his very person can stand in the way of salvation. And so what does he do? He sends them to Jesus. And Jesus right. here uses very earthly things. I mean, all of these things are very earthly except the last one, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus here is healing uh, the blind receive their sight. Well, you know, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. Now, if you're a Gnostic, none of those things matter to you. Right. Right? I mean, none of those things matter, because what really matters is getting out of this rotting meat suit and going up to heaven, right? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, even in the Missouri Synod, some of our older members probably lean a little too heavy on, well, you know, just going to heaven, right? And they kind of forget about the resurrection of the dead. Now, today, the younger guys have the opposite problem of focusing so much on the resurrection of the dead that they forget about the interim state. But it actually yeah. is both, right? Jesus mm -hmm. actually comes to undo, to purify, redeem, and free this creation that is under the bondage of corruption and sin. 
And his miracles show that this is the very thing that he came to do. And the last one shows that, hey, all of this comes through the gospel, through a message, through preaching. And that's exactly what John was. John was a messenger. A messenger carries a message. He was an angel in that regard, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, this has so many applications for talking about, you know, creation was created good. What has made it bad? Why do we suffer these things? Well, because of sin. This is exactly what Jesus came to do. His miracles are sneak previews of his resurrection and the last day, so to speak. Right. And, and, and uh, an undoing and, of the things that, that sin has brought. Kind of like uh, when you look at uh, Pentecost, the, it was the undoing of Babel. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, what we, what we see here, too, is like all these people died again, right? Mm-hmm. As far as I know. Who knows? Maybe they, maybe they went blind or they died again, whatever, right? This is why we can talk about Jesus as the firstborn from the dead. All of his resurrections, all of his healings were, in a sense, temporary. Right. And I think that's another thing we can talk about that, well, why don't we see these miracles today? Why, don't, why doesn't Jesus do this today? Well, he is going to do it at the end of time. And we are right. citizens of heaven. We have eternal life now. If we die physically, we are not going to die spiritually. And, and the that other all comes through the that, gospel. And the other aspect of that is the miracles of Jesus are by nature miraculous. What makes the miracles of Jesus special is the fact that they don't happen. <laughs> if right. they happened all the time, it would cease to be a miracle. Right. <laughs> right. That's what I get. Uh, you know, people as higher critics will say, you know, obviously these miracles don't happen. That's what makes it a miracle, you that's, doofus. That's kind of the point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why they're there because they don't happen. That's why Jesus said, these things don't happen. Look what I do. They happen when I'm here, and you're seeing it as proof that I am the one. And right. If they happened all the time, it wouldn't be miracles anymore. <laughs> well, and I think the other tact you could take on this is you could actually do, you know, John, the portrait of an evangelical preacher. Like, mm -hmm. what is a preacher supposed to be? Well, a preacher, an evangelical preacher, is not supposed to be a reed shaken by the wind. What does that mean? Well, blowing here and there, to and fro, you know, just going with the ways of the world, right? Right. Um, he shouldn't be a man with soft clothing, right? Because they they live in king's houses. Well, that actually means we have to speak truth to power, right? <clears throat> just as John did. That's why John's in prison. Uh, you can't just say, okay, mother government, you can do whatever you want. Because that's those are the people who get rewarded for that, right? Mm -hmm. You have to call out everyone, even those in positions of power, to repentance. And, and, and so a, you could play with those. So what is a what is an evangelical pastor? He is a messenger, right? He bears a message. And, and one one bitter pill, I think that uh, speaking as a pastor, one bitter pill in all of that is is the fact that. Looking at John, it is an all-encompassing thing. What he ate, what he wore, where he lived. Mm -hmm. And uh, as pastors, it's hard for us to think that, well, I'm just, it's easy for us to think, well, I'm just a person just like everybody else. You know, it shouldn't affect, like, everything about my life. But it did kind of for John. Mm -hmm. And if you go by what Paul says, pastor should be i mean it it affects your life in a profound way not just in a a couple days a week kind of thing uh, yeah it can literally cause your death i mean what kind yeah. of things are we dealing with now things like cohabitation gay marriage you know all things relating to you know sex and marriage and that sort of thing well that's what killed john john told herod it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife Right, that's, I also, that's what put him in, you know, in prison. In a weird way, by the way, this this reminds me. This text kind of reminds me of Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> How so? Yeah, you're gonna have to explain that one. <laughs> okay, so who, 
Have you guys seen Dumb and Dumber? Yes. Yes. We landed so how on did, the moon. How did it how did it end? Do you remember how it ended? Oh, I don't remember how it ended. It All ended I can with, think of is, you know, so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. Right. It ended with uh so they're basically walking or maybe they're taking their scooter, I don't remember. They're leaving Las Vegas mm-hmm. and on their way out, uh a, a stroke of luck, this bus pulls over and they're like the Swedish bikini team and they need someone to to put on their their suntan lotion for them would they be willing to be hired as that right yep okay so so you would think to me if they had gotten on the bus that would have ruined the movie because they're supposed to be dumb that's not how it's supposed to end right right and so they come up with it. Oh, I'm sorry. No, we have to go over here. And they they let the bus go. And as the bus drives away, they thought about it. They thought, wait a minute. And they never get back on the bus. Mm-hmm. That's how it's supposed to end, right? Right. It's supposed to mm-hmm. fit in the theme. Okay. If John is the Old Testament prophet, right? The greatest of the prophets. How is his life supposed to end? By death. <laughs> right. Like, this is fitting for, this is how the prophet is supposed to die. <laughs> right. Doing his work at the hands of people who didn't like to hear his word. Hmm. So that's how, does that make sense? Or is that just in my head? No, that totally makes sense. Uh, then when you apply it to Jesus, it still does. But him also being God himself can then raise himself from the dead or be raised from the dead. So uh, he completes that that sort of type of the prophet. All right, we're rambling, aren't we? We want to move on. We got a lot to talk about. We have my top 12 list, and we're going to, Berg is going to teach us about the ember days, uh, which is those th- three days that will tell you the weather of the next three months. Am I confusing that? I think that's Groundhog Day. That's amber days? I don't know. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I have no idea. No clue. All right. No idea. Uh, I got my top 12 list. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's top 12. So my top 12 list is on just simply contentment. And I'm talking a little bit about this. uh, And by the way, I know Berg is probably getting nervous. It's about contentment. And he's going to think that this is a top 12 steps to finding contentment. (laughs) Are you a little yes. worried about that? No, I, I'm actually not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's not exactly what this is. It's just things to think about when it comes to contentment. And why might I choose this time of year to talk about this? Do you think we're living a very content time? I think it's there... we're living in a material world. Right. See, and, that even uh, works for the Mandeans, too. and so i think one we're living in a very discontent time Mm -hmm. and uh wouldn't you say in many ways december even with all that's going on is can be one of the most discontented months oh yeah so especially with all the the rampant consumerism and sort of the the heartlessness that's with which some people treat the month of December. Yeah. So my top 12 lists are 12 points to things to think about when considering contentment. Number 12. Your concern for contentment shouldn't focus on simply feeling better. In other words, uh, when we as Christians talk about contentment, we might, you know, oftentimes people look to the church and say, well, this is, I need to feel content. I want to feel better. And certainly there is that aspect in some ways, but in other ways, uh, the goal ultimately isn't simply to feel better. It is, you want to feel better, but you want to feel better for the correct reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not just a therapeutic, the goal here. Uh, wrestling with contentment, we're going to help you feel better because feeling better should come from something deeper, mm-hmm. not the actual feeling better. If feel, it's kind of like 
in the same way. And when we talk about, I just go to church so that I can go to heaven. That's, that's kind of a small, that doesn't encompass everything. Do you think we should define contentment first? Um, I, I will throughout the, the top 12 list. Okay. Isn't that the purpose of the top 12 list is to help define what contentment is? Right. Okay. Okay. So, so when we talk about contentment, the goal of the church really isn't simply just to help the individual feel better. You all right? Sorry. I was, I was thinking about something and then I was looking to see if there was, but never mind. Okay. Number 11. A lack of contentment is a strong tempter and uh, at the heart of many sins. So, for example, Adam and Eve in the garden, were they content? They were. Right? But then all of a sudden they were not content with Mm -hmm. what God had given them. Uh, The children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, as God rained down manna from heaven, were they content? No. 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 So, on the other hand, contentment can, if it's just a therapeutic feeling better, uh, we need to recognize that when you're dealing with discontent or a lack of contentment as a struggle, and and we'll talk later that not all con- discontent is bad, but um, to realize that that is one of the great, what happens if a spouse is husband is not content with his wife? What happens when someone is not content with his house or with his possessions or his income? Uh, what All those types of con- discontent can lead to uh, thinking the answer is to satisfy those itches, and that doesn't really bring contentment. And so to recognize in your discontentment, if you're struggling with discontentment, How is it that your discontentment is seeking to tempt you? Number 10. Look at contentment through the lens of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, be content with? God. God. No need to seek after other gods. Be content with the the name that he gives you. Be content to rest in his word. To rest in his word is a definition of being content in him, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, to to be content with the government that God has given you, the parents that God has given you, the authority over you that God has placed over you. Be content with uh, with your the health and well being of others. Um, all the a lot of all the commandments kind of rest uh, with contentment to a certain degree, and be content with what God has given you and with God Himself. Number nine. So part of this is examining yourself and discerning the heart of your discontent. What do I mean by that? Uh, sometimes if, if it's a, you're discontent because of a life situation, looking at, well, what is it actually that I am discontent with? Because we see in Scripture, we remember that when we think of all that we have, God has given that to us. So if it comes with something that deals with physical need or your station in life. Now some of that can be good if it if that discontentment leads you to be a better person. Meaning uh, uh there is certain things that uh, provide someone contentment that God gave you skill to use and you want to do it. Uh, but also, it's, it, there are things that can breed discontentment that is born out of jealousy or anger or lust. And to differentiate in your own mind, in your discontentment, what is it actually that's causing it? And if it's sinful to repent, if it is godly to pursue. Do you see the difference there, Vicar? Yeah. And I, I don't think we actually often, you know, when we, for example, the Lord's Supper has a lot to do with this, I think, because uh, when you look at the examining yourself before reception of the Lord's table, 
I think all these things that we're talking about have have part of preparing yourself for the Lord's Supper and seeing how they're answered in the body and blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so to look at in an honest way, what is it that's bringing your own discontentment, and and to address it with God's word, with forgiveness, or also on the other hand, to address it with things that are godly. If it's a, in a sense, a a godly discontentment, and and that's what number eight is. Number eight, there is righteous discontentment. Some examples in B. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're not content if you're hungry and you're thirsty. Mm-hmm. And if it is a godly discontentment to want and desire to be more righteous. There is, there is a godly discontentment if you encounter someone in need. So, for example, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the Good Samaritan would have been discontented to pass by the man who was dying after being robbed. Uh, that would be a discontented state that is a good thing. Uh, when Jesus saw the money changers in the temple, he obviously was very discontent with that situation. And so there is a godly discontentment, a godly desire to change things that are wrong, that are sinful. And also that comes in a personal level to be a godly discontentment with your own sin. And that's part of repentance. Uh, A life of repentance really is a life of discontentment with, with sin. And, and because what happens is we can, we can grow comfortable with sin and not be discontent with it anymore. And that is what is very dangerous. Another thing that when we think about this is to be discontent with false theology. Uh, we said all the time in the Bible too, discontent with false gods, all those things there is a righteous discontentment. And so it's not all bad. What makes it bad often is if the discontent is with one, something God has given you, uh, a discontent that leads you to not trust God, um, and that, that pushes you in sin and temptation. That, that, that is what, as you think about the heart of your discontentment, that I think needs to be addressed. Okay. Uh, any comments yet, Berg? I think you could even say that you can be discontent with your temporal or earthly situation as well. Okay. So, for example, come now you, this is from James 4, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then, val- and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so here <clears throat> in James chapter 4, uh, it's, you can also be discontent with your earthly life because why would you go into a town and trade and make a profit? Yeah. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is exactly what Peter has done with his jobs, right? Mm-hmm. He was discontent with the other ones, and, and that's not a bad thing. Like, it's not a bad thing to improve your earthly station in life, but it always has to be with the caveat, if the Lord wills. Right. I mean, God is the one who gives success in all earthly endeavors as well. And I think that's important, too, for our, you know, for our listeners to know that, like, it's okay to want to strive above being a gas station attendant or a burger flipper. That's okay. Right. You know, right. It, it, like that, yeah, that's I don't want to give the impression that, uh, that, uh, that is certainly, well, let's say you, you will find yourself in a position where you're a burger flipper and you're discontent and, it's not changing it with your, even though you're trying, you're kind of stuck there. Right. And this is why it's all got to be based on the caveat that, hey, if the Lord wills this, he'll bless my endeavors. But if he doesn't, well, 
This right. is my station in life, and uh, and that's okay. Right. It's kind of like you know, if we weren't discontent, none of us would be married. Right. Yeah. There's a certain <laughs> level of. <laughs> right. I mean. Of, <laughs> right. Right. And and there is that kind of discontentment where which God uses to help us, as I said earlier, strive to be better. Right. And to use your talents to God's glory. I mean, that's the thing is even things like right. seek peace and pursue it. Like, yeah, we should be discontented when, you know, not only the violence in our own congregations, I'm not talking physical violence, but you you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People can get pretty waspish at some points. Right. Um, but also just the wars in the world, you know, that it's a good thing to be discontented with that. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, what I call the kind of righteous discontentment. Yeah. So right. number seven. After examining this, uh, address the sinful discontentment with repentance, baptism, mm-hmm. and the Lord's Supper. Um, the way that uh, Luther would say this is to drown the old Adam with sinful desires, right? That. Uh, um, I think sometimes when we think about it, we act there is a way that God gives us to learn to be content. It's not by personal power, but through continual contrition and repentance. Uh, it's kind of like when, when you have an enemy, uh, uh, Jesus tells you to pray for them. And I think part of that is it helps you see someone less as an enemy when you're praying for them. Um, and uh, when it comes to Unless it's like that country song, right? Where the guy's like, I'll pray for you. I'll pray you run out of gas and, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the kind of praying we want to be praying for people. Yes. That's generally called a curse. <laughs> Kicker. Yes. But I think going back to my song that uh, I sang about concupiscence. Concupiscence, it's a sin. And our sinful desires and our sinful discontentment is a sin. And if it is a sin, it needs repentance. And there is, I think, knowing that that is forgiven and continuing to live in repentance of that actually can change what you're content with. Does that make any sense to anybody? Yeah. I mean, when you uh when you start talking about things in like this therapeutic language, you start to uh put emotions and feelings uh, in a vacuum, right? But when it comes to things like discontentment or contentment in general, um, it's usually caused by something. And to be able to address what's causing it Instead of just thinking, oh, I don't feel good. I need to feel better. Well, you can't feel better if you don't know what's causing you to not feel good. Right. And, and, and I think that goes right along with, with repentance and knowing that, that discontent, to be discontent like the children of Israel were, was in the wilderness, that is something that should have brought repentance. Mm-hmm. You ready to continue? Yep. Number six. You got to make a distinction between discontent and suffering. Does that make any sense to anybody? Yeah. Yes, it does. Because Romans 5, for example, says that you could actually rejoice in your suffering. And, uh, well, why? Because you have hope and peace in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And your your distinction between discontent and suffering is is the fact that you're going to suffer, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that suffering is not anything you can do anything about. Mm-hmm. And and rather than allowing that to drive you to find discontentment in things that aren't helpful, whether it's avoidance. I mean, we have a huge fentanyl problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think of, was it Matthew Perry? We just found out that he died from ketamine. Yeah. That's how did he address suffering? By numbing himself. Right. By running away from it, yeah. Right. And so suffering isn't by nature bad. 
in the sense of God uses that to refine the gold. Discontentment, though, with it, with it, and with God does. When you look at Job, he was suffering, right? And uh, even Job, God didn't really let him off the hook at the end of the of the book. He still slams him. Like, where were you when the foundations of the world were made? Um, and so make that distinction between, am I, is it just general suffering that I can't do anything about, that I can actually consider using that, that suffering being used to to refine the fire with fire, the gold of my faith, and discontentment. I think there's an interesting discussion to be had there. Number five. Uh, consider what Jesus thinks or says about being blessed. Uh, when he uses blessed, he's not talking about any kind of earthly contentment, right? No. Mourning, being persecuted, suffering, uh, seeking peace, being a peacemaker. And uh, you can be a very discontent with a lot, many of those things and yet be blessed. And don't take suffering uh, as a way of saying that you're not blessed because you still have what, what God has given you. Number four. Understand you won't solve this. It's kind of the point of my sermon uh, for the, on discontentment is uh, Solomon, kind of like a mad scientist, sought everything and saw everything and tried to answer this issue of sin and discontentment. And ultimately what, what uh, Solomon does is he, he throws up his hands and says, I can't figure this out. Just enjoy your day. Enjoy the food that he gives you. Enjoy your work. You're not going to figure this out. And if Solomon's not going to figure it out, uh, we who have made the idea and the concept of contentment even more c- confusing, uh, we're not going to figure that out. So just enjoy the gifts that God has given you today. And that flows into number three. Number three. Rejoice in all that you have that it comes from God and rejoice the gifts in the gifts that God has given you. Um, if you are spending your life thinking I'm going to, which is what we do, right? We try and solve this issue of discontentment and we don't solve it at all. And when we think it's just a never ending search ultimately, because as soon as you think, oh, as soon as this happens, I will finally be content. And guess what? Perhaps you're content for, for a short time, but, uh, Money does not really make you content. And do you know how, how I know we actually believe this sometimes and we think this way? People act like it. Well, yeah. Like how often, for example, people like to to bang on professional athletes because, oh, your life is so hard because you made $100 million playing basketball. Woe is you. Mm-hmm. As if to say... They shouldn't have any problems because they just made a hundred million dollars. Right. You should be content. Why aren't you content? Me who suffers with all the food I could ever eat in my house that is nicer than ninety percent of the world lives, and uh, a place where I can hear God's word. I have all the problems, but you, who has millions of more dollars than I do, should be content but I'm not. That's, that's how you can tell how we dismiss people with lots of money and we say, oh, we laugh at their discontentment. You should be happier than anybody, we think to ourselves. Right. Well, it's kind of hey, like, uh, like the- I go through a, a lot of discontentment to have that much money, let's just say. <laughs> right. We like to try. <laughs> right? Hey, man, yeah, I'll swap, I'll swap spots. Yeah, no. Right. <laughs> right. But to quote, uh, as we often do, the great philosopher, uh, I don't even remember what philosopher says this, more money, more problems, <laughs> which is essentially what Solomon says. Yeah. Well, and the, the funny thing about Solomon, too, is that like he asked the Lord for wisdom, and the wisdom that he has is directly from the Lord, right? Like he granted that to him. And so when he comes to his conclusion in Ecclesiastes, it's kind of like, underwhelming like oh okay i guess we'll just have to 
go with it then. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So he essentially says, don't try to figure this out. You're not going to. Yeah. Just enjoy. Enjoy the day. Enjoy your work. Just enjoy, go with it, man. Enjoy the, the gifts God gives you. <laughs> yeah. It, and which is essentially, you're not going to be able to figure this out. So just trust that God will give it. And that's, if you think about it, isn't that exactly how God works out salvation too? Mm-hmm. Right? He doesn't leave us to kind of spin our wheels and try and figure it out ourselves. So basically, Christ took care of this for you, which is why God's word is a rest for you. Number two. Faith and hope centers on the unseen and treats it as reality. And uh, a lot of times our discontentment does the opposite. Oftentimes discontentment is discontent with the things that you do see. I don't have enough of it. Mm -hmm. When faith and hope trusts in things you don't see, but you treat it as a reality. And number one. Christ Jesus knows what you need. Uh, and he, as Jesus talks about worry and being discontent with what you, what you eat or what you wear and worrying about that, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things will be added unto you. That's, now that's easier said than done, right? Uh, that continues to be a work in progress because we're sinners. But ultimately, that is, I, pastors will tell you, we see this more and more in our, as people get older, you know, uh, I sometimes uh, when we I'll, uh, an example of of this is one time I asked someone, uh, "What are you most looking forward to in the kingdom of God?" And the answer was, "Yeah, just to see Jesus." <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You ask someone younger, "Oh, everything's gonna be awesome. Is my dog gonna be there?" and <laughs> You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. I I ran into a little bit with that with the uh, the confirmation kids because they were somebody I had a question about heaven and I answered it. So they all started speculating and they're like, "Oh, you'll be flying around like you do in Minecraft." It's like, no, heaven's nothing like Minecraft. It's <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> uh, so that's my list. What did I miss, Berg? Anything I miss? No, I mean it was a good list because I just listened to a podcast on the art of manliness about something like this. And, you know, uh, there's one thing he brought up, which I think is a good thing, is this distinction between having and being. And if you build your personality on what you have, whether that be money, fame, power, weightlifting, or even children, eventually those things are going to go away or they are going to change. And this is what causes a lot of discontent in a lot of people's lives. Like, I mean, think of think of the great adjustment it would be if you couldn't lift weights anymore. I know. And, or, you know, like, for example, uh, with your kids leaving the house, I'm sure that was kind of a discomforting transition as well. Because your kids yes, are... Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, because your kids are... Like, it's a different relationship, right? <laughs> right. It's not the same. Right. And so if you have a having mindset, I possess this, well, that's going to cause a lot of stress and a lot of discontent in your life. But if you look at it as like being in relationship with these things and hopefully with God, right, that you can view your weightlifting as God's gift to you to deal with stress or to make you feel good or your kids as gifts from God that are going to grow up into full spiritual maturity or even money or, or those kind of things, it's a lot easier to say, okay, this is changing, uh, but it's probably for the best. Yeah. So. Is that uh, one of your greatest fears, Peter, Of for me, is like if I blew out my shoulder or something, that I'd be un- hard to live with? I feel like you'd find other ways. That's true. So, you know, that's the thing is like these things don't define us. And you could still be a part of the weightlifting world. You just might have to be a coach. Right. You know. Push the vicars. <laughs> and so just that kind of stuff, right? That we mm-hmm. have to 
I think sometimes we hold on so tightly and we view these things as possessions rather than ways in which God shows his gracious relation to us. And that those things change because he does things for our good. If you, I'm sure you've had this discussion with, with some of the older folks uh, where they said, they talked about, well, when we first married, we only lived off a, yeah, I remember one saying saying that they literally lived off of, they would bring cream uh, from their two dairy cows into town once a week, and they would get uh, enough money for their, their sugar or and other, like, couple items that they needed from the grocery store because everything else came from the land they lived. And they usually had enough money left over to go to the picture show, they said. <laughs> this, is long, this was when I was first a pastor, so this would have been a long time ago. Yeah. And, th- and they would say, th- he both would say, that was the happiest time of our life. Um, I, th- I think there's an understanding that way that, that we miss. Mm-hmm. So... All right, I want to know about the Ember Days. So we'll do a campfire catechesis. Peter, play the intro. Gather around, everyone. Time for campfire catechesis. All right, so I had a question. uh, What are Ember Days? And Ember Days are quarterly periods from the Latin quator tempora, and ember or yimber sometimes said to be a corruption of tempora. And these were quarterly periods of fast prayer and fasting in the liturgical calendar of the Western Christian churches. These fasts traditionally take place on the Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday of the weeks following St. Lucy's Day, which we just celebrated the 13th of December, the first Sunday in Lent, Pentecost, and Holy Cross Day, which is the 14th of September, though some areas follow a different pattern. Now, these are usually tied to cycles of farming and harvesting. So why the name ember? It's probably a corruption of the Latin tempora to the German quatember, and thence by the easy corruption of dropping the first syllable, a corruption which also takes place in some other words, we get the English word ember. Some think it comes from the Anglo-Saxon word jimbren, which means a circuit or a revolution. Uh, The term Ember Days refer to the three days set apart for fasting, abstinence, and prayer during each of the four seasons of the year. The purpose of their introduction was to thank God for the gifts of nature, to teach men to make use of them in moderation, and to assist the needy. Needy. The Old English rhyme on when Ember Days fall, Fasting days and emberings be, Lent, Whitson, Holyrood, and Lucy. Or, if you want a shorter mnemonic, Lenti, Penti, Cruci, and Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) So, what are some of the texts here for the Ember Days? We see it, we see these texts. You have the Annunciation, Luke 26 through 38 on Ember Wednesday, where the Holy Spirit, or where where the angel of the Lord announces to Mary that she will give birth to Jesus and that he will be the son of the highest and God will give him the throne of his father, David. Ember Friday. This is where Mary visits Elizabeth, and John the Baptist leaps in the womb, and that she is blessed among women. And then finally, we end with Ember Saturday, Luke 3, 1 through 6, and this is where John the Baptist prepares the way, and Isaiah is quoted the voice crying of one, of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So, so yeah, those are what Ember Days are. They're days of fasting. They are to thank God for the gifts of nature, that we should use them in moderation, which is especially important because we got done with Thanksgiving where you stuff yourself full of food and gain like five pounds. And then we're going to go into the Christmas season where you eat even we, more. Uh... <laughs> and, spe- and, and my suggestion would be to make sure it's good, high-quality protein. There you go. Make use of it. Make Oh, I like the sound of that. We doing steak this year, Pops? Ooh. Steak and shrimp. Mmm, <laughs> that'd be good. Oh, should I get another uh, beef loin? Maybe. All right, so 
Uh, Berg, what I my introduction to Ember Bay days was from farmers, mm-hmm. uh, where they would use it uh, to, in a sense, uh, to use it for weather purposes. Have you heard of this? I have not heard of this. So do you want to? Um, and, and well, first thing I want to do is uh, we haven't really given. I want to give an assignment to our super fan. Okay, uh, the Baron. Uh, to uh, I want him to uh, our super fan to test out the Ember Days weather thing. What? All right. So there the th- what are the three Ember Days berg in December. They would be. So these would be the days following uh, the Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday of the weeks following St. Lucy's Day. So I'm thinking it's since Lu- St. Lucy's Day was on the 13th. Would this be the 20th? The 22nd and the 23rd? I believe so. So, according to this, then, the the three ember days, the kind of weather you would get on the first one will kind of match with the month, the average of that next of the month of January would be. Mm -hmm. So if it's particularly warm or cold, then that month will be either warmer or colder. If it's rainy... You'll get more rain that year, that month. And so it's supposed to be predictor of the weather of that month. And then the next Ember Day would be predictive of the weather of the following month. And the third would be for March. And so I would like to charge our super fan to, uh, to check this theory out and to see if where he is, if the Ember Day weather thing worked for, for him. It's, I know it's going to be like a three-month process, but we look forward to hearing back from our super fan. Indeed. But you've never heard of this. Nope. I've heard of this from several. I've heard it. I heard it from farmers in Illinois and from farmers here. Well, obviously not young farmers, but but they would actually take the time to mark these out uh, to to look at the weather. Very awesome. Which which would go in the sense of of as you mentioned probably flowing from uh, thanking God for the gift of nature mm-hmm. and all the ways he cares for us. And I think probably that's tied then to, I don't know, seeking order. I mean, I think this is how some of the predictions in the almanac right. come from, from Ember Day type mm-hmm. things. Yeah, yeah, you can find the Ember Days in the Farmer's Almanac. So I don't know. I don't think it holds water, but we'll find out. I guess we'll find out <laughs> from our super fan. All right. Well, thank you, Berg. I learned something new. It's more than just a weather predictor. Indeed. Have you actually followed these yourself? No one would come to church, unfortunately. So it'd be cool to bring okay. it back. <laughs> but, you know, I think they're great texts. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think you almost need something in the one-year electionary to kind of round out some of the texts, which is why I like right. preaching the Wednesdays and Fridays in... Um, Advent and Lent are using them because it kind of fills out the one year a little bit more. And I do appreciate uh, something that is lost is marking out special times of self-reflection, of reflection on these things. Mm-hmm. We don't do that a lot of that. Because un- no. because unfortunately, like we don't live according to what God actually set up for our time anymore. I mean, you can get oranges in Wyoming in January. Like, that's pretty unnatural. <laughs> right. You know? So do you think that it's good to go back to these old ways because there is something to be said about them? Yeah. I often wonder in Iowa when you go to a restaurant and you get the catch of the day. I don't know. <laughs> Which day? <laughs> right. So it could be a boot. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, that brings us to a close. A reminder, next will be our Christmas Spectacular. Uh, we have all sorts of plans for it, so it's going to be amazing. And then the then the week after that, we've got our, uh, our, our New, Year's, New Year's Eve party, because that right. will be on New Year's Eve. Wow. That's true. Yes. And that, by the way, your New Year's Eve celebration that you do, this is what I suggest you do if you haven't done this already. Uh, is to gather all your family and friends, go to church on Christmas Eve, 
Mm-hmm. If you have church. Where generally... New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, yes. New Year's Eve, uh, where you hear the vicar try and, and combine the circumcision of Jesus with a new year. And and then after that, um, you... You all right, vicar? Yeah. It's a great text. Af- after that, you can uh, gather all the your your loved ones together, watch the Meg 2... And uh, listen to the commentary. That would be a great thing to do, <laughs> to ring in the new year. Even Hannah's listening to the Meg, too. Right, right. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And this is Vicar. And may your ember days be content. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.